Welcome to the Indie Music Room, a conversation with independent artists about writing, recording, performing, and promoting their original music. And now here's your host, Heather Kelly. Hey everyone, this is Heather Kelly, the host of the Indie Music Room, a show where I talk to local independent musicians about their music. We have a lot of fun and you hear the music that they created, they've created in the past, and that they're creating now. Join us every Saturday and Sunday for the Indie Music Room right here on 4 I'm excited to say today, this is an honor for me, this is exciting, I'm a big fan, I have Frank Wewell from the Hawks in the house today. Frank, how are you doing? Good. Good. Fantastic. Also today I have here Kurt Kaufman, which, you know, um, with our previous interviews, you've learned that he is the one that owns Junior's Motel Recording Studio, which is where we host all of our interviews. But today I just want to talk a little bit about the past and the Hawks, because everybody around knows here knows the Hawks. Tell me about it. Tell you about it. Yeah, I want to hear everything you have to say. I want to know how it started. A long, long time okay. ago. Here we in go. In a land far, far away. <laughs> we had this crazy idea to go form a rock and roll band. It's what every kid wants to do after they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. It's like, uh, I like that. So we all got together. Kirk, I think, saw us play somewhere and he brought a Terry Dillon along with him and said, you know, hey, let's do this thing. And so we had we had been working with a bunch of different people. I played for a while with my brother playing drums, and then I think we had Dean Davis who played drums uh, initially. And a whole bunch of us got together and practiced in Kirk's building in a chicken coop, which is kind of the how the studio began right Junior's, <laughs> as we know junior's motel today so yes. yeah so it was then a chicken coop and of course what you do with chicken coops you get go and get a bunch of egg cartons and put them on the wall and put them on the ceiling and so it damps down the the loud loud music which we were playing at that time sure we all decided it would be good to get really loud amplifiers really big amplifiers we like the the Super Beatles, which were big, tall amplifiers and were really loud, so we we tamped them down and and built a built a studio out of basically a practice room at first out of the studio, and we all got together and practiced, played, learned songs, learned the stuff that was on the radio, learned the stuff that we like, you know, and learn how to play those things and then got gigs around you know we started right. playing little places and and there was a place in every town uh <laughs> different how, than now how old were you then and who who were who all consisted of this band yeah it was 18 oh, uh, wow. it was kirk and myself and dean davis and rusty bell who was the guitar player who i went to school with and uh, and Terry, I think, was the first uh, keyboard player that we had. Okay. And then uh, and then there were various permutations of that particular band, but uh, Chuck um, Henderson was also, uh, I think, played when Terry went in the service. Um, and so there was a place, I think, different than today. Um, there was a place in every little town. There was a community center or a community building mm-hmm. or a 4-H building or... There was there was some place where bands could play, uh, which I think is was healthy. Uh, it was healthy for being able to learn songs and put them out there in front of people and see what the kind of feedback you got was, and and you could actually make a living. 
you were smart enough. And we right. started to make, you know, we started to be able to make a living. My dad kept saying, well, you should go to college, you know, so you have something <laughs> to fall back on, you know. Every parent's dream, yeah. Yeah, and he wanted to give me the drugstore, and, you know, I had the pill wagon. So I, I drove the <laughs> pill wagon for a while until, until he took one look at me one day and he says, you know, he says... I don't think this looks good. You you in the pill wagon. I said, "Okay, fine. That's all right." So oh, so great. I would go I I would um we all started doing the the uh high schools and junior colleges and we'd play Iowa State and and uh we got to be where we were pretty good and we decided, "Okay, let's write some music, you know. Let's uh-huh. let's write some of our own stuff." So that's always the the challenge because back then they wanted people to do cover songs or top forty they called it then. Mm-hmm. So that top forty was was kind of you know you, if you could do if you could mime those songs and play them at will for people that were pretty good facsimile of the song then you know you get gigs. So we had gigs all over Iowa and stuff and started to do those things. We just still thought about recording about making our own music and. So we did we did that. We went over to Omaha and recorded a song. I think that was Bright Lights or was that in Chicago at Chess? Do you remember Bright, which one was uh, Bright Lights was in Omaha. Yeah. And so Bright Lights Windy City um was something that that we did over in Omaha and at the time there was a band called the Rumbles who had recorded over there and made a record called Jezebel and I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, and they and they and that record sounded good, so we thought we could record over there. And then we spent a lot of money, and we thought, wow, it's a lot of money. We didn't have that much time in the studio, and it was expensive. So we thought, well, maybe we should think about building a studio. Okay. And then we went to Chess Recordings right after the Stones were there, and Chess is a legendary studio where a lot of the old black musicians came from New Orleans to Memphis, and then Memphis to Chicago, and then in Chicago. Uh, there was this legendary studio, Chess Studios and Chess Records. Where is that located? It's it's in Chicago, downtown Chicago. Okay. And it's an old, legendary studio now where they recorded all the blues artists and the black artists. Um, and it was really kind of a legend. The Rolling Stones recorded there. Um, some of the newer, younger bands like Buckingham's had recorded there. I remember singing a song, singing overdubs or something one day and in the studio and one of the Buckinghams pokes his head in <laughs> makes a comment about a harmony I could I could sing or something maybe and it was, try this one yeah yeah, yeah. we thought the Buckinghams were great because they had a record out so they were a, a pop band they had some pretty good records had some chart records Great. Um, so we we did that and then we what did what year was that about would have been in 70 what do you think Kirk 70 yeah. maybe well, Probably 1970. Yeah. Okay. And, and then we decided we'd go to Muscle Shoals. We had heard um, that the Stones had been down in Muscle Shoals recording, uh, I think they recorded uh, Brown Sugar. And Wild Horses. Yeah, and Wild Horses. So um, two good songs, sounded great, and we thought, yeah, we'll go down to Muscle Shoals. This would be a big, hot studio. Well, actually, when we got there, it was pretty modest and it was a cement block building, and they had a nice board and a nice engineer and a, some producers and people in there. Okay. But it was really nothing special. It wasn't something that I thought, "Wow, I'm blown away by you know by this studio." So we thought, "Wow, geez, 
you can make a record anywhere, you know? Right. You can even make a record in the chicken coop. So, <laughs> Well, so, how did you get the funding to do the chicken coop? Yeah, we cajoled and talked to the bank, and the bank looked at us and goes, you want a what? <laughs> you want how much? <laughs> what? And then we better talk to your dad. We better talk to your... So uh-huh. the, the problem was that we hadn't actually told Lloyd at the time. Lloyd being... <laughs> Lloyd Kirk's dad. Oh, okay. That that this was going to be a big recording studio. He just thought, oh, they got some blocks and they built on the side of it and they're out there putting a new roof on it and all that was, he was fine with all that. And then we said, well, we think we need to put in a recording studio in here. We're going to put in a recording studio. Of course, he didn't know what that meant either. Huh. Until, you know, we had gotten about two thirds into it and we went to the bank and says, hey, we need more money. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so they, they took a, they took a chance, I think, you know, with 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds. Um, and we took a short mortgage, meaning five years, and got up to our eyeballs in debt. Uh-huh. So we had to go out and play, salaried ourselves on $50, <laughs> oh $50 a week. And, you know, well, we could pay our bills at that point, kind of, you know. Right, and, and right. So we were, we were, uh, we started out like that. We'd go out with the records, and uh, we made a record down in Muscle Shoals. And yeah, tell I, me about that. I have heard some things from Kirk about that. Tell me about Muscle Shoals. It was in the Deep South. And at the time, I had never been in the Deep South. And it was a dry county. Muscle Shoals was actually in a county where there was no alcohol. So you had to go across the county line to go to a bar. It was a really strange thing. Uh-huh. But in Muscle Shoals, they had all these musicians, all these all these studio musicians that had gotten together to build a studio. And and they built it, and then they did some some artists, you know, some really good artists, and they had hits. And so we were happy to go down there and learn about the stuff that they were doing and how how to do it. But I also think it gave us impetus to say, maybe we could do this. Uh-huh. You know, maybe we could do this here. So so we came home, and and you know what you did at the time was take a record out, and you'd actually go to a radio station, take the record in. A lot of times we didn't even have appointments. We'd just mm-hmm. go in the radio station See and there'd happens. be a DJ in there and he'd look out and there'd be a bunch of long-haired musicians <laughs> out there. He'd think, oh God, I'm going to be robbed. What's the deal here? Right. And he's, he'd say, hey, what can I do for you? And i say, hey, we got a record here. Said, well, let's give it a listen. So he put it on the air and if he liked it, then he'd say, oh, this is great. They're going to be playing at so-and-so tonight, you know. Uh-huh. And I remember that there was a lot of DJs, and they ended up at the gigs. So we figured this is probably a pretty good way to promote. It was much different than what happened later, which is you have promotional people, and you have big record company people, and they go and, you know, and, and go in and get the records charted, and they get them on you know, on the radio stations. Mm-hmm. And the radio stations had gotten together into big conglomerates and stuff later. Then there were just radio stations and there was a guy in the radio station. So we'd go in and 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 have the record played. And then we'd have sell sell records at gigs and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. We did that for a for a while. And you know, as they see we had songs on records, more people would come. Uh-huh. And so we would have times when we would play places where we'd make a significant amount of money for the at the time 
you know, $1,000 a night or, you know, anywhere between 500 and and $1,000 a night was a lot of money. Sure. And we could play two or three or four nights. We never really got into the club scene where you'd go and play a club for a week or something like that. We usually would just go in and, and do a one night, uh, three hours. I remember one time they, they they got us a gig. Our booking agent got us a gig in Chicago. And that was three, that was six 50-minute sets. Okay. So you had to play the yeah, whole you repertoire. To, you sure did. <laughs> Turn around, uh, play it again. Exactly. Now, I have a couple questions for you. I um, follow you. I, I still have your 45s I used to spin on my record. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've got those. I've been That's fans a little of record you. of the big holes. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I'm still a fan of you guys. And I thought I heard a story where didn't, at one point, you actually performed on, what was it, American Bandstand? Yeah, after we got, we were out in... in uh, in LA and a CBS guy had this artist that he was working with and uh, he said we need a band and so you want to do it and I said yeah absolutely and I thought well yeah I thought Dick Clark was going to be really intimidating but he's a really nice guy okay he just sat down talked to us you know and says hey you know where are you from and all this and they always ask you know who who are you what do you what do you do and so just a really, really nice guy. And, and Huey Lewis was recording on the same particular day. They would do like five acts. Okay. You know? So we were one, and then there was Huey Lewis and probably two or three more after that. But but that was really interesting. And I remember my aunt saying to me, you know, you should get a haircut. <laughs> after she saw me on Dick Clark, and I thought, oh, thanks a lot. That is, that, that's all you've got to say? Not you made it to Dick Clark or anything like that. Of course, she was old enough, so Dick Clark didn't, you know. Right. It was, kind of wasn't her thing. You know, I want to just say to my viewers tonight, my listeners, is I forgot, this is, this is on me, but I forgot to welcome Kurt Kaufman is joining us today for this interview. Of course, he's our chief engineer for all of our radio interviews we do, and we're doing it at Junior's Motel Recording Studio. Do you have any memories of the American Bandstand or Huey Lewis or anything you want to put in, Kirk? Um, actually, no, I don't have any memory of that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who? Yeah. American what? Yeah. Uh, actually, you know, the, um, me and Frank shared a dressing room with Huey. Okay. And then Frank went down where they were shooting, and I was sitting there, and this lady came in and asked us if we wanted a drink. And, uh, so she came back with gave us both a bottle of wine and i'm sitting there drinking the bottle of wine and and i look down and there's our band on american bandstand playing <laughs> oh no you missed it <laughs> yeah i think god i missed it you know <laughs> but it was the run through and then i came down right, and right. oh good you know <laughs> better get kirk that was a close one yeah, yeah whoa oh he's up having a dream about huey that's about it they're, they're pretty high up there up in the upstairs yeah, that was that was nice, and we recorded, um, you know, Worman when he heard uh, our songs at CBS. Um, we had sent in the the tunes. I think probably like any artists, you know, you never really know when to let go of your art. You know, you record songs. I had songs of Kirk's I recorded, and songs of um, of uh, Dave's I recorded, and songs of mine that I'd recorded and different songs. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I was just sitting on them, and Denise said, hey, these are good. You should send them out. Denise is my wife, and she right. was probably responsible for me actually taking action. That's great. You know how wives tell you what to do there. Well, oh, I know just, they do. They kind of tell you what's... Yep. <laughs> kind of, that's our thing, you know. So in that case, she said, send them out. And it was, it was really... It was really the reason that that CBS heard them, and what happened was there was a song called "Tell Her No," which was an old Zombies tune mm-hmm. that we had recorded in a quite a different way. It was a quite a different fashion. But one of the CBS guys uh, at the time, the A and R guy, was was um, Paul Atkinson. Okay, and Paul was one of the original Zombies, and. He heard this song coming down the hallway out of somebody's office and said, what's that? He said, they completely redid our song. And he, he actually liked it. And oh, he and, fantastic. Yeah, he got together with the other A&R guy and they called up and they said, where's Otho? <laughs> right? Most people pronounce it Otho. They don't oh, even yeah. know what Otho yeah. Iowa is. Or yeah. Ortho, the farm chemical company. You know. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to play a couple of your songs tonight. Um, the first one I just want we're going to get into and talk about is Black and White. Tell me a little bit about what inspired it and who wrote it, and it's one of the best songs ever. It, it was actually about media fascination. It was about the idea that, that people get involved with people they see in the media. And, you know, they get infatuated with them, and they... And reality separates from 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 fantasy, and a lot of a lot of times people can't tell the differences. So there was a sure. there was a um, you know she lives in black and white, so she lives up there. So who wrote that particular song? I did. You did. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. We're gonna listen to that, and we'll be back right after this song. Yeah. 
That was amazing. Black and White by the Hawks. That's a great song written by Frank Wewell. We're just going to go ahead and and, uh, talk about a few more of our songs that we're going to play tonight. The next one's Great Divide, and I know I've heard this, but I'm not quite sure the history of it. Anybody got any background on it? You know, this one was written by Dave uh, Hearn, and uh, lyrically, I think it's quite amazing for a rock and roll song or for a pop song. It's It's about a subject... Um, you know, about spies. And uh, I think in the last administration, there's a big investigation now <laughs> in who spied on who, you know, who, yeah. who went in and, and, is, and is looking at my stuff. And, and so they, they've had a big investigation now and, sure. and spies are back. So F, FBI and CIA and all the spies. This was a story about the great divide between uh, America and the Soviet Union, there was something called a Cold War for a long time when I was young. Right. And this was about how spies would spy on Americans, the Russian spies, and the Russian uh-huh. Americans would spy on the Russians. And just so happened that later, after Hawks, I was in Moscow, and I was we hired a bunch of people there. And one of the guys, I said, well, I want to have a telephone. I want to get a telephone in the Rosia, which is this huge hotel. And okay. he said, well, I said, I said, can you do it? And he said, yeah. And I said, so what would you do before? You know, while we were getting everything ready and getting a phone and getting it hooked up and stuff. He said, sure. I, I bugged the U.S. Embassy. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, yeah, they couldn't even go in and inhabit the building because we put 5,000 microphones in the, in the wow. building. And wow. so they spied on us and we spied on them. And this business about uh, interfering in elections, we've been interfering. Yeah. Americans have been interfering in elections all over the world for all of time as an imperialist nation. And Russia's been interfering with elections all over. So this is not new and, right. and this whole business of who interfered with what. But this is a song about that. And and interestingly, I think it's the only rock and roll song, or the only pop song, or the only conventional song that has has the term, has the defining term, quizzling. Yeah. And a quizzling was a person who turned, standing on the great divide between the two worlds. Sure. Looking both ways. So he was a double agent. Step, you can trip and fall 
really deep explanation of who wrote Great Divide and what is it about. I love it, Frank Weevil, but I'm going on to the third song. Third song we're going to play tonight is called Need Your Love. And tell me who wrote this one and what this one's about. That was Kirk. You wrote that one, Kirk? Yep. I I wrote that one. Tell me about it. You know, I don't really have any real thoughts about writing that tune. I mean, the... uh, I found this little thing on the guitar that was kind of a interesting sound, uh-huh. you know. And then, uh, um, you know, you're just rhyming, uh, trying to make rhymes and seeing if they make any sense at all, you know. And uh, uh, the the little line about the cabaret, I remember uh, Greg Brown had a tune and he mentioned the cabaret. I don't know if you remember. Yep. I think you recorded that. Yep, I did. And uh, I, I just thought, well, that's a cool word, you know, to slip that in there. And, uh, you know, and then that's just how the lyrics came together.
on another note, you guys, how do we keep in touch with you? Everybody still wants to hear about what's going on. What's you got going on, Kirk? Anything new in your life? I mean, are you doing music right now? Um, I'm not doing... Well, I'm recording bands, okay. you know. Sure. And uh, so I'm still doing that. And then I'm just... I'm actually working on a musical right now. And Robin Hood. Yeah. I've He's heard about this. Ben. So it's kind of keeping my nose in the medieval sort of direction yeah so well, you come from every angle musically so it's fun to see you go in this direction and i've heard a lot of good things about it so that's Fra- fun frank what's up with you now these days what's going on um when i was uh, probably 10 years after the band uh, i started a foundation to help cancer patients so i uh, traveled all over the world wow it was in moscow berlin vienna you know nairobi london paris looking at new things there's a there's a strange thing in the in the world of medicine, and that is that the discovery in something uh, in in medicine occurs, and by the time people get the benefit of that medicine, it might be forty or fifty years. So okay, we're trying to shorten that time period and help people to find the best uh, the best treatments and new things, new ideas. Um, you know, once upon a time, I thought well. Eating what you eat doesn't have anything to do with. Well, we all know that's not true. Yeah. But now we know eh, it's a major major issue. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I've been also looking at the the issues of prevention. Um, and you're right, pesticides. One of the things that I think we have to be really, really careful with is the pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, mm-hmm. rodenticides. In the food, the air, the water, the environment, and so um, I've been, a, a, you know, campaigning against those things because I think we can grow food, you know, the way Kirk's dad originally grew food, which wasn't with a big, you know, sprayer and right. He had a big sprayer. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> no, no. He had the shakes later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, too, you know, I remember that that in the initial stages we would have things like weed whackers and they'd go out with these big machetes and whack the weeds and we'd go out and you know with your hoe yeah go out with a hoe (laughs) yeah (laughs) and get and get the weeds and get the weeds and then there was bean buggies they graduated to bean buggies Uh, you know they had a little bug I'm about that age where uh-huh. I rolled the bean bars and yeah, the bean buggies. Yeah, yeah, I remember so, that. So I think that was probably a better thing to do than to spray everything. Now we've got uh, glyphosate and GMO stuff. And so yeah. I think that we all have to be careful of that, keep our food, air, water, and environment clean. Well, Kirk, everybody knows how to get a hold of you at Junius Martel Recording Studio. You've got a email website. You've got a phone number with 515-972-4475. And Frank, how can we find you? Um, in regards to your new venture with your business, and the the foundation is one yeah. eight, is has a telephone number one eight hundred no cancer. Okay, I think okay. that's such a great noble cause. This has been an amazing interview. I've got to know a lot more about you guys other than just the music, but I do know that we can find you at www Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame backslash inductees. That's where the Hawks information is right now. And do you still have CDs to sell? I don't know, Kirk, do you? Um, How's this inventory these days? They might be sold out. I wouldn't doubt it. I've got a few CDs around. Yeah. You know, so if somebody's interested, they could give me a call. Fantastic. <laughs> well, again, you've got the number. You're listening to Heather Kelly with Indie Music Room, a show again where I talk to local guests and artists. And this was my pleasure to have Frank Weevil and Kirk Hoffman from the Hawks on this evening. Thank you and have a great weekend.
You've been listening to the Indie Music Room with Heather Kelly. Be sure to listen every Saturday and Sunday right here on FortDodgeRadio.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all our past and upcoming shows. The Indie Music Room is a production of FortDodgeRadio.com.